Hi folks, a shout out this week to Sharon Pask, who did a review of the Take On Board podcast. Thanks, Sharon. She says, gender pay gap episode, very informative session with Emma Ray. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sharon, for taking the time to do a review. We love to get reviews here. And thanks to Emma for doing that episode. Second announcement for this week. This week we're hearing from Kari Hatch. And listen right through to the end of the episode where she shares resources because not only does she share some resources in the episode itself, but sent me a voice memo afterwards with some additional ones. So there's some gold in there. Radio, on with the show. Hello. There's just two things I want to mention before we get into the episode today. Firstly, I want to say thank you to you. If you've shared this podcast with a friend, a colleague or to your network, Thanks to you, we've recently clicked over 10,000 listens of the Take On Board podcast. So a huge thank you to you and to the whole Take On Board community. And well, while we're on a roll, I would love it if you could share this episode today with someone that you think would also love it and encourage them to subscribe. Secondly, as I've mentioned, I'm alternating between COVID-19 crisis episodes and other topics because, well... Sometimes we just need a break from the crisis that's going on. So this week, it's a non-coronavirus episode. And note that this one was recorded in February 2020. So at that stage, coronavirus had not even been declared a pandemic. And in Australia, we were blissfully going about our business without restriction. So when we talk about how much work a board role takes and how many boards you should be on, and we talk about how more than one crisis can hit at once, We weren't thinking of a pandemic that can hit all of your boards at the same time. I might try and go back to Julie and find out what she thinks now about how that's affected her board roles and the time that it takes. Next week, I'll be bringing you an episode about communicating in a crisis. So tune in then to hear more or just hit subscribe and it will automatically land in your favourite podcast app. Now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Take On Board podcast, where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halia Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable and exciting, yet it can also be really lonely, challenging and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. We'll also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that, and together we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'm speaking with Julie Green about getting on a board and building a board portfolio around your areas of influence and passion. This alignment of your skills to a board role is key, so I'm really looking forward to exploring how to highlight your own points of difference in my conversations with Julie. So first, let me tell you about Julie. Julie's a board member of the RACV, which is the Royal Automobile Club of Victoria, RACV Finance, Bendigo Health, Malden Hospital, Loddon Mallee Waste and Resource Recovery, Greening Australia and Red Grid Advisory Board. She's a former board member of Shepparton Villages and the Innovation Cooperative. 
Julie is a passionate portfolio director, adding value through commerciality, performance measurement and connecting to community. She's experienced in change management in both the public and private sectors across diverse industries, including professional services, healthcare, transport and infrastructure. Her portfolio career builds on her many years as a senior executive reporting to boards, including as a business advisor with chartered firms in the UK and Australia, including Ernst Young. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Julie. It's lovely to be here. It's so good to have you. So, Julie, before we talk about getting on a board and your value add and all of those sorts of things, we would just love to hear a little bit more about you. So can you tell us a bit about your upbringing and what lessons you learned and what you got up to in your influences? <laughs> you can probably tell by my accent that I actually come from the UK, England, and we decided, uh, my husband and I, to emigrate in 1987, so a long, long time ago. Back there, I trained as a child accountant in the city of London and I became a manager, an audit manager, at a very young age. I was only about 23. And shortly thereafter, we decided to emigrate. We were only supposed to do that for two years and go back again. But obviously, we had a great life here and we stayed. Back then, my influences was, I think, my mother, who, who said that basically you can do whatever you want to do, Julie. And that gave me a lot of inspiration just to follow my dreams. Oh, we love it. The, the influence of strong women in our lives to build or encourage or motivate the next generation of strong women as well. Fantastic. Now, I know you're an alumnus of the Williamson Community Leadership Program run by Leadership Victoria, which I'm an alumnus as well. So can you tell us about the program and how this was your moment of change? Yes, look, it was in 2001, so an awful long time ago now. And I remember I was in the water industry at the time and there'd been a lot of people in the water sector that had gone through the program and the person I was working with encouraged me to apply, which I did, and was successful because it is a competitive process. It is a year in length, so a calendar year. And in that time, you have the great opportunity to talk to about 150 different leaders in all different areas of the community and I was part of a group of about 33 people, also very diverse, so from not-for-profit sectors, from the financial sector, all across community. And I suppose I was quite different in that I lived regionally to Melbourne as well. So I lived in Gisborne at the time and the water industry that I was a general manager for, that was also a regional water business outside of Melbourne. So it was life-changing because you actually get out of your comfort zone mm. and you're not in your professional stream of accounting, you're not in your industry stream of water as it was at the time and you're just exposed to so many things that you didn't even know you had an opinion about. <laughs> <laughs> and it's an alumni now which has grown. I don't even know the numbers. It's a 1,000 plus. Yeah. Definitely. Across Victoria. And when you meet people now, you come across that, yes, they've done it and you have an affinity. Mm. So it's a fantastic network. 
I think part of your network from that year is the fabulous Corinne Armour, who was on the pod just last yes. week. Yes, very good friend of mine. We were together actually at 9-11, I remember it clearly as ah, yesterday. wow. And I was staying with her overnight and she said, you've got to come and see the Twin Towers, they're gone, you know. So yes, I remember Corinne yes. <laughs> very well and she's still a very good friend. So... Thinking about your journey to the boardroom, and today we're going to talk about, as I said, getting on a board, building a portfolio around influence and passion, highlighting your own point of difference. So maybe to start us off, can you tell us about your journey to the boardroom and maybe your journey to the RACV boardroom? Yes, of course. Um, Back in, what was it, 2013, I'd had an executive career which covered quite a few industries, transport, infrastructure and uh, healthcare. And back then I wanted to transition to a board but I was living regionally in Kyabram and so it made networking quite difficult. I was made redundant of Transfield partly because they said, do you want to go to Perth? or America, and I said, neither, my daughter's doing year 12. So I took the package and became a consultant for a little while with the likes of UGL, who's a big big public company, and Lendlease, but it wasn't really filling my passions. Mm. So I asked myself, what board would I like to go on if I had a choice, given my skill sets, which was very strong commercial, clearly, with being a chartered accountant, but also having those industry disciplines of transport, water, healthcare. And so I did a lot of research and I did come across the RACV in that research and then investigated, well, what is is this organisation about? I know that they have roadside assist. So I actually approached five directors within a very short space of time who I just knew from my networks and just had a conversation with them about, well, what does it mean and how does it work? And that included the chair at the time, actually. And then I learned that it's a membership organisation. It's now 2.3 million members, Mm. very large, touches every Victorian across the state and interstate as well, involved in many different businesses, financial services, tourism as well as the club and uh, roadside assist, which everyone knows it for. So I understood then the process, which was a pretty rigorous process of basically putting yourself up, going through a verification of your credentials. So that was an independently audited process. And then eventually um, it's an open election, Mm -hmm. which involves the members. So now the process is a lot more rigorous in that it's very skills orientated and we have a matrix that we use and we go to the market to say, well, this is actually what we're looking for. We have an interview process. That's changed a lot in the last six years, which has become a little more rigorous. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the the good thing for me is that in that process I got the most votes and was elected to the board which I've enjoyed thoroughly in the last six years. Mm. And I guess being um, a community sort of person, it resonates very well with my values because we are there for members and the community. 
So there's two things I want to pick up on there. Firstly, you said you identified the RACV and then I think as you lightly said, oh, so I went to five directors who I just knew through my network. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Because that's an amazing way of finding out about an organisation. How did you approach them? Like, tell us some of the nuts and bolts of that, because it's often something I advise people to do when they don't know where to start. Tell us how you, you did it. It's very open information in that you know in any company really, if you can Google, apart from private companies where it's a bit more tricky and you have to do a bit more research, but it's quite open with internet searching to know who is on the board and therefore you can see whether you actually know those people in your network. If you don't know them directly, there's always other ways. Perhaps you know people that know those directors so you might ask for an introduction, which is what happened actually with the chair at the time. So I didn't know the chair directly, but I knew someone who knew the chair and just wanted to know whether it was okay to mm. have an informal meeting. And really all I was doing is exploring. Mm. I didn't know quite what I was going to do, but it was just gathering information, which is really what you do when you look at any company mm of interest to you is, is you research, you find out what they're about and is there a sort of skills match? Is there something in their strategy that you could contribute to at that governance level? So that's the same for anybody listening mm. to this podcast. It's about your skills and your value proposition against your companies that you think you might be able to add value to. The other thing I really wanted to explore about that was your value proposition. So I know one of the key things that you've mentioned and that others have also mentioned is to understand your value proposition. So can you tell us how did you hone your value proposition and how did you use that to target board roles, whether it's RACV or other ones? Mm. What I've had for many, many years as an executive is a core purpose that stayed with me throughout that time. And it's basically to use my financial acumen to build healthier communities. So if you look at the roles that I've done, I was director at the SES, I was in the water sector, I was in transport. It's all very community orientated. Mm. Some of it is private, some of it's public. Not necessarily the not-for-profit. That's probably been more in my board directorships, the not-for-profit space. But it's all been fairly consistent about using my skills, which are principally because of my background financial, but of course more than that. But it's about affecting communities and mm. for the good. Mm. So with that, when you sort of know that and you then look to the board space... It helps align, well, what companies are you interested in mm. and therefore gives you some levers about where to target. For example, a straight ASX pure commercial board, I don't know whether I would actually get some satisfaction out of that because principally profitability and commerciality is right up there in terms of shareholder return. Mm. Although, given the Royal Commissions that we've had, you could argue that maybe that's not as important as some of the... Well, it's important, but other things like social mm. awareness, effect on communities and also the environmental impact that you have as a director is also important. Mm. But that's a whole different topic. Hello, it's Helia. 
Are you tuning into this podcast because you want to get on a board, but you're not sure where to start? It's the same for many of us, or indeed all of us before we get our first board role. So if that's you, or if you know someone who fits the description, I have some exciting news. The next Board Kickstarter program, which is my program that helps women figure out all they need to know about getting their first board role, is coming up in June 2020. Super early bird rates apply from now until the end of April. And here's an extra special deal for the Take On Board community. If you register for Board Kickstarter, email me and let me know your favourite Take On Board episode. And then you'll also get a free one-on-one strategy session with me, either before or after the program starts. Go on, it's a fabulous group of women. And because we're running it via Zoom, there's strictly limited numbers, but it also means you can participate from wherever you are in the world. There's a link to book uh, and to get in touch with me in the show notes. I'd love to welcome you to the group. Now, back to the show. So thinking about the skills and strengths that you've got for the boardroom, I'm wondering how did you identify those strengths and again, how did that inform your role in the boardroom? So it's probably an extension of what I talked about in terms of core purpose because clearly commerciality and audit and the financials and risk management is very much in my DNA mm. and every company needs an, an audit committee or and some have audit and then risk management as separate committees. So that was pretty strong. As an example, when I was in a mentor program with the Australian Institute of Company Directors, I had a mentor who's a lovely man called Charles Maycheck and he said, Julie, make sure you put that first because of what I've said. Every company needs those skills. And I was actually downplaying them, which was probably not to my advantage. Mm. So as well as those skills, I think the core purpose brought out that I am passionate about community I do want to do the right thing. I do have a strong set of beliefs. And I think that came about in part recently when there was a a survey that we did in a board just to understand your competencies. And for me, as well as the strategic layer and looking into the future, there was a big one in there about beliefs. Mm. So it's resonated with me that if something isn't quite right, to always listen to your gut. Mm. And in a bordering concept, that means that you have to really dig deep and have the courage to ask the questions that you don't feel comfortable about. Mm. So that is a lesson that I have learned. If, if I don't feel comfortable, I have an obligation to myself <laughs> to follow through and put it on the table. And that's really what boards should do. So that's interesting. You you did some, um, I don't know, strengths mapping, I guess, with it your is. board. It Can is. you tell yes. us a bit more about that? What tool you used, what it showed for you, and also what understanding it gave you of some of the other directors in the boardroom? Yeah, look, a couple of my boards have actually gone down this route. There are various different methodologies, if you like. There's one called Gallup Strengths. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another which is in the health sector about studa, which is a way of behaviour really and setting of culture within organisations. 
they do things a wee bit differently, but I, that's not really the relevance. As you would in an exec team, you want an exec team to work together and for you to know the other people that you are around the table with. And it's the same with a board. It's an effective board understands the strengths of the board and the chair, of course, tries to harness those strengths. And then as a team, you can get the best out of delivering on strategy and fulfilling your board obligations. Mm. So I would recommend it. It's another layer, if you like. I mean, you can, you know, have social events, go to dinner, etc., with a board to bond and to understand each other. But this is a deeper way of learning what is important for your other directors around the table because, if, as someone said to me, you are really all shackled at the ankles. Mm. Something happens, you are together yes. and you jump together. <laughs> so it's really good if you understand where people are coming from. So you mentioned in there that you did a mentoring program with the AICD. I'd love to hear a bit more about that and how that might have I guess, supported you to build your skills and strengths in the boardroom? Yes, it was a very good program. For me now, it was about three years ago, so mm -hmm. a while. You do get partnered with a mentor who's willing to contribute their time. And that's a bit of a luck of the draw, to be honest. It doesn't always uh, work, but it's a national program. So you have various people from different states and the beauty of it is that you do have some educational training with the AICD and your group that you're with, so learning about resumes and networking, those sorts of things. But the one-on-ones that you have with your mentor is very valuable mm. and you can use it as you see fit, but basically you set the agenda. So... For me, I, I felt quite comfortable with resumes, for example. Mm -hmm. It was more about, you know, how do I actually develop the portfolio of boards to be what I want them to be? That was very valuable for me because the person, Charles Maycheck, I mentioned mm -hmm. earlier, he had fantastic knowledge. He was very good at governance, a very solid sort of person. He was on West Farmers and Telstra, so great experience. Mm. You learn from him and and also it's lovely that we have continued contact because mm. technically it's actually just a year. Yeah. But as time has progressed, I still catch up with him and he's also an RACV club member as well. <laughs> so that helps. You can run into him around the traps there. Oh, fantastic. So thinking about your board portfolio and building it, you've clearly been very successful at that, Julie, because you have a very impressive portfolio. And if it's not too cheeky of me, I confess I've always thought that the rule of thumb for board directorships is around about four would be about the maximum number. You're on a few more than that. You're on seven, I think, plus an advisory board or is it or six? seven including Seven the including the advisory yeah. board. So if it's not too cheeky, I would love to hear just how you do it, how you juggle all of that together and, and what your thoughts are around if there's a maximum number, what that should be? Yes, also a good question. I'd say that they're not always equal. Mm. So the RACV would be big, clearly. Benigo Health is enormous in size, 4,000 staff. 
So they would be big, but some of the other ones, like the Waste and Resource Recovery and also Morden Hospital, which is which is where I live, are smaller. Mm. So the time commitment isn't as large. The advisory board is only quarterly. The other thing that's important is that they meet on different days. Mm. So Bendigo Health is on a Tuesday, our SCV is on a Wednesday – the Fridays, the waste one, and the others tend to fall on the Thursday. So they actually don't cross over. Mm, that's very handy because that diary management can be very challenging. Indeed. And you have to be prepared to change hats. And for some reason, I'm quite good at putting different hats on mm. to address the entity that I'm obviously fulfilling a very important role for as a director. So I don't think it's a hard and fast rule. If there were ASX-listed companies, then for sure maybe three would be max. Mm. And some people would argue that if you were a chair, that's a sort of an extra commitment that you certainly need to manage mm. very, very carefully. So my reply is that they're just not all equal. Yeah. Not uh, all boards are created equal. <laughs> And I agree wholeheartedly. A chair role, again, my rule of thumb would be that being the chair of a board is at least double the work and possibly more. Yes. And someone said to me that there's no way you could be, say, a chair of two major big Mm. companies because you would be conflicted in your time commitments. Mm. And, And I would say that's probably right. As I say, it's challenging enough getting the diaries together with just a couple of boards sometimes so yes and look the other thing is is that disasters do happen and crises mm. do emerge all you need is for two crises mm-hmm. <laughs> at the same time and then you get a bit of chaotic activity so you do have to have a balance we've talked about so many fabulous things here in terms of skills and strengths on a board and finding the one that aligns with your values and your purpose What are the main points you want people to take away from the conversation that we've had today? Look, I would really like to encourage those listening to the podcast, be they women or otherwise, that we are all individuals. We all have our own unique set of skills. Mm. In terms of women in the boardroom, we are making progress, but it is still slow. We've just hit a 30% mark with the ASX. The government boards tend to be a lot more balanced. 50% is achieved on many boards. So my message is really don't give up. We're all different. And I personally encourage and mentor a lot of women. Because of that, I don't feel like I'm in competition with women. Mm. It's uh, the people, some women might see the case that they pull the ladder up from under them. But truly, I think that is declining trend because it is so tough Mm. and we do need to step up because the world needs professional technically savvy women to participate at the high end of governance within our country Mm. so we just need to step up to that challenge and it's not easy therefore it's incumbent I think on myself and others like me to help other people to get the goal that they want to achieve. Oh, you are speaking my language, Julie. I could not agree more. I think that we need to build a community of women and we are stronger together. 
I'm wondering, is there a resource that you would like to share with the Take On Board community? It might be a book, a podcast or a TED Talk or anything else? A very good friend of mine, Finbar O'Hanlon, quite an extraordinary person. He's an entrepreneur, he's a musician. He is a purveyor of difference and if you saw him, you'd understand what I mean physically as well. Mm. He did a TED Talk which is the complexity of simplicity Mm. and he talks about navigating through the overcrowded digital world and he has a mantra that everything is not important. Mm. Which is part of the same thing in a way, isn't it? That working out what the value proposition is, working out what is most important because mm. we can't do everything. Can't do everything. So how do you... And, and with digital media, LinkedIn, you know, the Facebook, mm. if you're on Twitter, it's bombardment of digital awareness that if you delved into any of those, you know, you might not come up again. Mm. But that doesn't really add value when you think about it. So what is important? Yeah, focus on what's important. Fantastic. Oh, thank you, Julie. It's been so fabulous having you on the podcast today, imparting incredible words of wisdom that I know the community will find of value. So thank you so much for joining me today here at Take On Board. It's been a pleasure. That's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So it's great to be able to share these conversations that I'm having with these amazing group of women with you. Now, can I ask a favour? Could you share this podcast with someone you know? Perhaps you can share it with some of your board colleagues or someone else that you know that's interested in exploring all things boards and governance. With your help, we can grow the Take On Board community. Last but not least, if you want to continue the conversation, you can also join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group where there's lots of great discussions, tips, tricks and resources being shared. I would love it if you can join in the conversation there. You can find it by searching Take On Board in Facebook. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another fabulous conversation.